The world is a confusing place, filled with all manner of shimmering distractions that take our conscious mind and our immortal souls and subvert them into the most basal of human emotions. Can any one of us who considers ourselves a spiritual being truly look around the carnival at the barkers, performers, and the caged animals and believe, even momentarily, that any of this is as it should be? My name is Alan Bishop, the alchemist of the Black Forest of Indiana, distiller, historian, occasional tinker, reenactor, and your host of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. Have you ever noticed the world isn't quite what it presents itself to be? That something is just a little off kilter, just a little out of focus. Perhaps that movement you caught out of the corner of your eye was more than a shadow, that weight on your shoulder more than fatigue. I have lived my whole life like this, aware, awake, and waiting for the next experience, positive or negative, always apprehensive, always analyzing. I believe that spiritual warfare is real. I believe from societal observation that others are becoming acutely aware. I believe that many are being influenced by forces unknown in a negative and spiritually deprived way. I see soft disclosure in every corner of pop culture. Join us as we pull back the curtain, as the veil thins and reach with us into the ether to reclaim the truth. But if you have ghosts, you have everything. Alright guys, so we're back with If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything, and today we've got uh, Stephanie Vines, uh, who we also call Depot Girl. Uh, so Stephanie actually works, <clears throat> I've got to remember all the names, just like I did with Jeremy, at the Depot at the John Hay Center, which is associated with the Stevens Museum and the Pioneer Village, because they have like 52 million names. So Also the Washington County Historical Society. Yes. <laughs> So I've known Stephanie for several years, and uh, Kim and I are very good friends with her. And so Stephanie's here to talk a little bit about uh, railroad-associated paranormal stories, as well as possibly some uh, stories related to a uh, jewelry store in Salem, Indiana. And uh, we're going to turn it over to her and let her introduce herself. Hi. Um, I'm Stephanie. Like you said, most people will call me Depot Girl, and I will answer to that. Um, I tried. I fought to have that put on my business cards. And they were like, yeah, maybe not. So um, I've worked at, for the County Historical Society at the depot for 13, going on 14 years now. And um, I, we are also the, not only do we have a display to the Monon Railroad, which began as a New Albany and Salem Railroad. Um, we cover railroading in, in Indiana or anything associated to it. We have a model layout in the basement. If you've not seen it, you should. And we are the worldwide headquarters of the Monon Historical Society. So, and you guys, if you're if you're around Salem, or you're ever in Salem, you should definitely go check out the depot. Uh, so they have a, a a scale model of Washington County in the basement. Uh, what what scale is that? HL. 
H. Okay. Yeah, and they also have um, various different uh, railroading artifacts as well. Um, they also have a caboose on the side, yes. which is pretty cool that you can go into and check out. An authentic 1929 caboose. Wow, that's very cool stuff. So, Stephanie, uh, tell us a little bit about you know, uh, what you have a general interest in the paranormal or anything of that I do. nature. Or? Um, so I've worked in museums um, in some form or fashion for about 20 years now. Um, I, I think it started before that. It was kind of a thing in my family. Um, they believed in things like ring buckets, which is um, my dad's mom's family especially. I had a bucket that would make a buzzing noise every time right before someone would die until they eventually, they, they, they burned it. <laughs> they didn't want anything more to do with it. Um, I've lived in places that, you know, you never really know if you're alone or not. So, yes, I do. And But if you work in museums long enough, you know that there's something. You don't even necessarily know how to explain it, but you, they're just things you can't explain. Oh, absolutely. Um, and for those who've listened to the show in the past, so season one, episode one was about uh, John A. Bowman, the, the rattling my old bones story uh, that we did. And so obviously Stephanie being involved in museums, but also specifically a railroad museum, uh, kind of piques the interest of both Kim and I, as we've theorized on the show several times about railroads and, and the sacred math involved in that, as well as the, the energy transference and all that stuff. So Stephanie was perfect to get on uh, season two of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything to share some of these railroad-related stories that she's come across, uh, either here in the county or even just associated with the Monon or even other railroads in general, uh, because she's going to be the person that hears those stories from people or finds them in history and knows them. So we're going to jump into all that, and I'm just going to let you sort of uh, jump into it where you want to, Stephanie, and, and go into as much detail as you'd like. So I, Kim and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and um, I told her I especially wanted to talk I thought, you know, the the UFO story was the one I wanted to tell the most, which I will get to. But that then she began mentioning how you guys had talked about ley lines and how railroads, you know, do transfer this energy in a very physical way. And I never thought of it that way because I really thought of railroads more as um, trains. Trains were the predominant way for the country to travel for a century up until the 1940s. Um, not and they're in, it's still important today, though not as important as it was. Um, and it before before you had a railroad, oftentimes if you moved from the eastern seaboard to let's say Indiana from North Carolina, you never saw your family again because you couldn't you couldn't afford to go. Not only could you not afford to go in a in a wagon, it was going to take you literally months. And in even later, as state as coach roads roads improve and stagecoaches improve. You're still gone for several months. And if you're a business, you have a business or you have a farm, you're not all going to go as a family at once. Well, the railroad changed that. You could just go to your local town that had a depot, buy tickets, and be there. I mean, you know, it'd still take a couple days, but that was just unheard of to these individuals. Right. It suddenly became a possibility that you could yes. do that. And and with that, too, and I, I, and I know you're, you're driving there as well, with that, too, obviously comes tragedy as things go on you know not only just the the energy that kim and i've talked about or the energy that you and kim talked about with the railroad but also just those tragic things that happen as that develops too well and yes and railroads see i mean so a train would see the best of everything it would see a family reunited but it would also see you coming home for a funeral for every soldier that comes home 
there's a casket that comes home with a flag. You know, every honeymoon, there's somebody who's leaving on their divorce. And so there is all this energy out there, good and bad, that some of it, you know, energy is never created or destroyed. So it tends to go somewhere, maybe. And so it would, it makes sense to me that it would, con it, that it would contain all this power, for lack of a better term. Um, but also the tragedies that are involved just in the construction and the operation and the day-to-day. -day. Or even the, even the things that people take for granted. You know, like uh, if you really want to have a, a good understanding of fairly modern history, you know, even if you don't know the history itself, but if you wanted to see how the counties operated at one point in time, actually uh, even, even along an abandoned line, for example, uh, you know, the things that you'll see when you walk down tracks, such as, you know, old abandoned roads that are no longer in use or places where there are foundations for what was obviously heavy industry that's no longer there. So the railroads, even the ones that are abandoned, they have a story to tell. And uh, all that energy, like you said, it still exists. In my opinion, it does. And it's just waiting to present itself to the right person under the right circumstances most of the time. Yes. Um, and so I guess I would start. Oh, I guess I think you're going to edit that out, right? I thought yeah. you'd hit that Oh, you're good. That's all right. Um, I guess I would start with just the Washington County stories that I know. So I'm trying to stick to the ones that I've heard more than once, or many of these are documented. I mean, you take a station agent that's sitting for eight hours a day at a station, nothing going on. They record absolutely everything that's been told to them by the engineer, the conductor, Anyone that had been, had been on the train at the time. Um, the train sheets are fascinating because nothing else. You get the weather for the day that right, they year. They didn't have anything else going they on. They didn't have anything else <laughs> going on. They recorded weather and who came in and when trains came in and what came in. And <clears throat> then you see just these little two and three sentences of things about um, what they'd seen. So, well, and, and real quick, Stephanie, sorry to interrupt. But I and I didn't even think about this. And maybe you did mention it, I just don't remember. But for the audience uh, who's listening in who may not be familiar with... Uh, Washington County history, New Albany and Salem, uh, Railroad, Monon, etc. What year was this track here laid? Um, so coming through Pekin would have been about 1849 to 1850. Okay. Comes right. into Salem in 1851. Nice. Um, and it's founded as the New Albany and Salem Railroad in 1847. And it's six businessmen out of New Albany and Washington County get together. Um, and before that, of course, you couldn't uh, you couldn't get goods and goods to the Ohio River back sometimes for several days yeah. and so John Bowman being one of those individuals that um, made a big um, made um, he he was big he was instrumental in bringing it to Washington County spent a lot of his own money and of course wanted to be buried where the trains would forever rattle his bones mm -hmm. so right. obviously he's not resting peacefully because the trains don't come by and I hate to tell you now the trains are never coming back <laughs> Um, they've abandoned the track, um, and it's either going to revert back to just open land or rails to trails. So um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure you can't be happy. Right. Um, right. So, but he's not somebody except for that story. And then your episode, it was episode season one, episode one, where you cover yep. him um, and cover the experiences you've had at his house. Mm -hmm. I don't have any stories particular to him. And in Washington County, um, I only have a few. And the main one being, it involves Delos Heffron. Oh, And being hanged from the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was hanged from the Iron Bridge there. So 
it's not exactly where um, Main Street runs through town, where the bridge is now by the little strip mall where um, everything a dollar everything's a dollar is. Mm-hmm. But if you were to go behind that building, you can kind of see where that bridge would have been at one time, okay. right thereabouts. That's the bridge he was hanging from. Um, and there was just a lot of times that people swore, either engineers or um, people like employees walking the track or just people going by that they swore they saw him hanging there swore they saw somebody hanging there interesting yes and of course they're he's he's the only person in that has been recorded that anyone knows of that was hanged from that bridge Um, i keep telling jeremy elliott and daniel uh they keep bringing delos up and eventually something's going to happen Yes. This is like the third time that Delos's name has been mentioned on the show. And I will bring up my Delos story here in a little bit. Yeah. Um, because that's it. I, I do have a story about him. Um, but the other, um, the, the other story that does happen, um, that is involved in Washington County happens closer out, maybe between around South Tillow area, mm-hmm. which is someone walking the track with the lantern. And many of the employees that would see him thought that he was probably an employee because they did used to have, um, yeah, they were called gandy dancers sometimes, um, which is one of my favorite terms. Yeah, I don't um, think I've ever heard that. One. Yes. And, uh, but what they did was watch the track, make sure that none of your spikes are coming up or your track hasn't shifted. Okay. Or that something hasn't happened. I mean, you could have a million little things. You just drive down just outside of Borden and you can see a washout. And that has happened there forever. And so these guys, they just, they walk the track. They would just walk the track. I mean, that was kind of their job. And uh, then, of course, you would have signalmen that would have to change your signals. Mm -hmm. Um, They would also walk the track. And they had lanterns. And lanterns and and a railroad were a very, it was a signal system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they would see these lanterns and they would immediately pay attention because they don't know if he's going to flip to red or yellow or if he's going to go on. Right. Clear is just he's them. walking. Green is good to go. But And they would come up on them and these people would not be there. Um, you know, and they would... Oh, wow. And railroaders so, often so, saw you, those lanterns. This lights. has been, like, recorded by Yes, this has been... This like, has been... Yeah, this has been conducted by engineers. And firemen who would also be in there when they had steam locomotives. That they would see him and then he wouldn't be there. And, you know, a skeptic would tell you that, well, somebody was playing a joke. Or it was a reflection. But they can't all be reflections no. all the time. No. That's, and, that's what I tell people about all these things. If, like, even 5% of this stuff is, is true, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so. and railroaders, I mean, you know, they're not they're not the types of guys who are going to admit. They're not the types of guys who are going to admit that they're seeing things. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. They're very logical. They also, even back then, would just get suspected of drunkenness. Now they get suspected of drug use. They get tested. They're not just... Um, they're not going to turn that information in just because. Right. Um, and so when you come across these, you're just like, okay, wow, that had something happen to this individual. Yeah. And they're going to go through if that's a reflection issue, and they're going to check that. So. And I would say it was probably pretty common. What, what did you call them again? Gandy dancers. Gandy dancers. Yeah. I would say it was probably pretty common. I mean, that's a that's a. It's job. a fairly dangerous job. Yes. yes. And that's a that was a pretty big... I mean, this whole little spur track here was fairly busy at the time, but oh, it, yes. especially that area that you're talking about, because now you're running through, you know, between Salem and, and Mitchell, obviously, mm-hmm. um, there was there was a lot of business in that area. So it makes a lot of sense for and that. And once they head out of South Tello, they don't really have to slow down to Orleans. So it's not like peaking to Salem where they were never running under full power. Right. 
They're starting to power up through there. Yeah, because it's a straight stretch yes. down through there. It's yeah. not they don't have to do any climbing or anything like that or deal with the curves or any of that stuff. So, do you know? Did you ever check into into the history and see if there was anybody that that could have been? No, there and there's not an actual record of one. Like, okay, well, he died out there. Right. The construction around Saltillo, though, is something of an engineering marvel, even to this day, that they were able to build it up as they did. So they had a lot of guys come through in and out that worked on that. Um, and the reason it's such an amazing engineering feat is because it is um, the way that they built up the bank false so that it's even the whole way. Yeah. And they use masonry techniques, um, you know, that are hundreds of years old at the time that we don't use anymore because now you use your laser, laser sighting and who knows what. These guys are just out there shooting it with a stick and a string, probably. Right. Um, and, they, and they did it, and it still holds up. I mean, you, you know, up until yeah. a few years ago, they were still running things across that. Still working the way it's supposed to. It was but, supposed yes, to but, you know, um, it's not likely that anyone would have died and it would have gone under the radar. There have been fatalities mm -hmm. um, and deaths associated. There's one in Pekin. Um, Happy Littell was a station agent in Pekin yep. forever. And he was, well, it was, he was very thorough at his job. And he went into work. He was not feeling well. And he had a heart attack waiting on the last train. Oh, you know, wow. these are things that are not, you know, nobody, I, I've never heard a story about him being, uh, he's haunting Pekin or anything mm -hmm. like that. But there are deaths like that that maybe wouldn't show up right. in railroad records. And, yeah. um, or just the fact that these, somebody might be just that dedicated to their job. Right, you know. Right, just yeah. Oh. It could even just be residual stuff. Or the lights. Like... I mean, you know, there's always the story of the lights that lead you if you follow them. And you should never follow them right. because, like, the will of the wisp sort of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Or don't uh, don't take food from fairies. That's yes. A, that's another old one. Never so. give them your name either. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. So. Yeah, that one. That one's pretty interesting because yeah. I I had never heard that. Of course, I don't. I don't. I think. Uh, I don't know that many people from Saltillo either. So I don't yes. know that I would have ever. <laughs> Right. And it's and it's something that would have been passed maybe among railroaders. It's my I'm not sure that you could say that people from South Hello even noticed it. Or yeah. if you did back then, if you saw somebody walking you down the track of the lantern, they did that. Yeah. Then that was railroad property, so it didn't didn't register. So I am I'm curious. Uh, so I and I did mention this on the um, the rattling old bones episode, the season one episode one about John A. Bowman. Uh, so I did talk to an engineer one time, and he. He told me that it was always, they always considered it, it was good luck, like if you were coming from Salem, headed towards Pekin, when you come around that corner, the first thing you see is Bowman's grave, so they yes. would obviously honk the horn, but I didn't know if you'd ever heard anything, any superstitions around the Bowman place or anything like Just that. Just that they paid him his due respect, because everybody right. knew who he was and why he was buried there, and yes, his his monument is quite visible from the tracks, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I guess it still is, last time I was out there, was when Indiana Landmarks did the home tour. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of built up, like the trees and the brush had come up. But right. they had just purchased that, and I have a feeling that they were going to clear that back off again. Right. Well, And I, that's on a different piece of property than the house is. It, oh, it's okay. Separate. But for uh, for a few years there, I was keeping it cleaned up. And honestly, I need to go back up there and look at it, because I don't know if anybody's messed with it or not. But, uh, yeah, that one's that one was always one that interested me. Um and that would have kept him quiet if he was hearing the story. Right, absolutely. Um, yeah, and they do, railroaders have their own, if you will, I don't know if you would call it tradition, superstition. Oh, yeah. There are things that they do that they're, they will. They're a trade like any other trade. Yes. We all And distillers have a lot of superstitions as well. And I'm sure that it, it's even worse with the railroad guys because 
you know, they're they're out there at all hours. And I, you know what? I don't want to be the guy that's walking the track at night, like checking the track in <laughs> right. general. I just don't want to, not even just the danger of the trains, but I don't want to be that person out in the middle of nowhere walking the tracks in the middle of the night. I'm well, you not fall and break your leg, that. it's going to be a while for somebody to find you. It is, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, so... Uh, and yeah, they have they have their romance and lore, like you were talking about. They have they have their, um, and that goes back to the fact that they're very like sober brotherhood and, and sisterhood. There are women now, right? That are engineers that work for railroads, but I'm their union refers to themselves as a brotherhood, fraternity maybe now. Fraternity, yeah. But that... they don't want to, um, you know, they don't want to appear like they're, um, you know, flighty. Right. But they have these they have these beliefs. They have these ways of looking at things. Well, I'm sure every every stretch of track too obviously has its stories, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so yes. they they become familiar with those, and then they learn them through at least yes. oral history, and then pass them down, etc. Yes. Um, so, real quick in this segment as well, I did want to touch on. I know you said Washington County only has a couple stories, mm -hmm. um, but one thing I wanted to ask you about was I know there have been a number of train wrecks here yes. in Washington County over the years, and yes. you may be going to touch on this later as well. But I, I thought I'd bring it up. Were there in Washington County history, were there any train wreck fatalities? There were a few. Not as many as you would think, but there were a few. There was one back in 1877 that happened out sort of where Kimball is now. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a derailment and a snowstorm. Um, there were two in, or there was one in 1947, no fatalities. A lot of produce um, everywhere. <laughs> right. Um, and then in 1981, May and September, two different trains hit. OP Link Handle Company at two different times. <laughs> now, there is a story I know about that that has nothing to do with paranormal, but it was that a gentleman that had been in Vietnam wouldn't come out of the building because he kind of went, he'd regressed. Oh, yeah. He was hiding way in the back because there was fire, there was noise. Right. Um, and it took him forever to drag him out. And then, of course, there was one here in Pekin not that many years ago that um, they, shut, they shut down for a hazmat, and that was because they spilled right. beer. Here in the front yard. Yes. That's <laughs> where that was yeah. at. So, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they spilled a bunch of uh, Corona beer in our yard, yes. and there was also a chemical container, but it didn't rupture. No, luckily, they did that so. mainly so they could protect the beer is what I've heard. <laughs> right. Um, well, they left plenty of it out there, trust me, because I hit it with <laughs> I, I hit a lot of bottles of that beer with the lawnmower. So <laughs> but we'll take a we'll take a break here and uh, we'll jump back into it momentarily. Hey guys, Alan Bishop here, the alchemist of Indiana's Black Forest. Sometimes, you just want breakfast for supper, am I right? Maybe you spent too much time in your local watering hole and they ain't got nothing on the menu and you don't feel like making fuck for supper. Sometimes, I bet you wish you could just turn the clock back a decade or two. Maybe visit your favorite rural mom and pop restaurant, the one of your childhood. Steak and eggs, wood paneled walls, proper sweet tea, your favorite line cooks, Dale Bishop, black and white pictures, the local news, maybe the Andy Griffith show. How about a glass of absinthe to go with it? Or who's your apple brandy? You can have all this and more at the Golden Eagle. At the Golden Eagle Tavern, we serve the best Southern Hoosier appropriate breakfast food and you can get a glass of house distilled rye, bourbon, or an American whiskey cocktail. The Golden Eagle, yeah. come for the food. Stay for the spirits. Now, don't you wish it was real? Me too. Your favorite podcast, if you have ghosts, you have everything, is looking for sponsors. And this spot could be yours. 
If you're interested, just reach out to us at thealchemistcabinet.com or bishopshomegrown at gmail.com. All right, so we're back again with Stephanie Vines and going to go into some more railroad stories, I believe. Yes, yes. So um, I didn't like I didn't have as many Washington County as I wish I could have brought. Um, But and I'm sure I'm hoping that you guys come in and tell me stories now because I, I know they're out there. It's just a matter that we haven't heard them. Yeah, um, bring bring Stephanie more railroad stories yes. so that she can bring them here and we can share them on if you have ghosts, you have everything. Yes. Um, but I, you know, there were other, there are other stories on the Monon and other stories, of course, to railroading in Indiana. So um, the, the one that gets recorded most on the Monon, like I said, when it comes to looking through their archives and their train sheets, are phantom cars, um, phantom vehicles. And, um, and I'd actually heard an, a retired engineer talk about this in person, um, one time. And he's passed away, but I still don't know if I'm comfortable using his name. But the man was not, um, you know, not given to being, you know, flights of fancy. He was a very down-to-earth, very, um, just a very, uh, not the people who do claim they see these things aren't, um, you know, they aren't right, but he's he's not the kind of guy that would be like prone to a flight of fancy or making things up for attention. Exactly. That sort of thing. Yes, he's not going to make he does. You know, he wasn't telling the story to give himself any sort of like, um, you know, make him give himself some street cred with all <laughs> right, these other right. gentlemen. Um, and he was talking about it was actually his daughter was also an engineer, and um, so anybody's familiar with railroad history probably just figured out his name. Right. But, um, she had almost hit a car I mean a crossing guard at a crossing track and um, it had upset her understandably so she was very traumatized took a couple days off work and he had said to her then that you know it's almost always a matter of when not if that an engineer is going to kill someone right. um, so sort I'm, of like the the motorcycle rider thing you know there's there's those that have that have already been down and those that are going down yes sort of exactly and uh, so not your mother, anybody's mother, but I'm going to tell you this. Just wait. You're not going to outrun the train. The train's not going to stop. See the signal down? Wait. You you know, you see him coming? Definitely wait. You're not going to hear him all the time. But, uh, you know, that is that is the probably the the largest number of fatalities associated with a railroad. Of course, some people trying to cross in front of a train right. that stall out or get a flat tire or just didn't judge it. Um the, the sound with the train and the light kind of is a hypnotizing thing. You don't, you think that it's further away because you don't hear it because the sound is behind it. Yeah. And, yeah. Yes. I can tell you that from growing up on the tracks and I'm not advocating for people walking down active train lines, but I, I grew up in the trifecta of death here yes. between the Creek and the highway and the train tracks. And so I knew not to play on the highway. The trifecta. The of Creek death. was, I was always going to play in the Creek and occasionally I'd play on the tracks. And I can tell you there are a number of times growing up, even just hunting the tracks where you'd be walking down the tracks and not realize that there was a train behind you, not 20 feet, you know? Yes. And then by the time you finally see it, it's literally like jump off the tracks at the last second. Yes. So yeah. Because they can't stop. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're not stopping in short of a mile, if that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but 
what a lot of engineers do talk about are the phantom cars and you know again a skeptic would tell you that yes well they're tired they're watching these tracks and of course that's they've just manifested the thing they're afraid of most right but more often than not these phantom cars and that's what this gentleman was talking about when he was telling his story was where a wreck had already happened and they will see the car and sometimes the car will be wildly out of date they're going to see a car from the 30s or the 40s to the point that sometimes these guys stop their train they throw the brakes they start throwing the switches you don't stop a train for a hundred reasons one of them means security um one of the safest ways to haul things the reason the military uses rail service is because they don't stop and they can't stop yeah they're not they can't be really hijacked they can't be hijacked right so right and and because the railroad is so precise you don't want to be off by a minute or two because trains going up and down each direction have now been notified and everybody's pulled off and everybody's waiting um, which is why a train may come into a station early, but they never leave early. And that's because they'll throw off their schedule. So for them to stop, and that's going to involve a lot of paperwork and a possible investigation. And if they're wrong, they could get, you know, maybe not a write-up because they're doing it, you know, they're doing it because they think it's a collision. Mm-hmm. But definitely a lot of trouble. Possibly, you know, everybody's going to be like speculating whether they're drinking or not. Right. Even there could be possible testing involved. So they don't stop for anything. So the fact that these guys are stopping and then reporting it to a station agent says to me that it's it's a bit, you know, it is a thing that they've legit. seen. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like just you're driving down the road and you think you see a deer on the side of the road. I've, I've done that myself. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you, you blink and it's a mailbox. This is, this is something they're seeing that's solid enough, that they've seen enough to start the process. Right. To stop that train, which yeah, is multiple, it, it, it's it's you know it's, it's not as simple just hitting the brake in the car. You exactly, know, there's an actual process you have yes. to go through to do this. Yes, and and you know once they start that checklist, they can't they can't reverse it either. But you know once they start that, they're they're committed to it. So and none of these guys, and I don't think it's because they just don't want to admit afterwards. Every one of these guys will swear that they've seen this. You know that they saw this car, and and when again when you start finding out some of the details, it was like, well, it was a car like my grandparents drove, that should not be there. Right. But in the 1930s, that that did happen there. Mm-hmm. Um. So I do find those interesting, and those do pop up every once in a while. Right. Um. It also pops up like the Phantom Rider sort of thing, you know, where a conductor will swear that there is someone up in the front right of a passenger car, and they can never find them. Yes, people could jump on and off. Saw a person, but they're, yeah, could Yeah. Yeah. Um, but these are, again, guys who are like, no, they couldn't have jumped off because we were moving too fast or, um, but they're not there, you know, or, or phantom other employees, you know. But that's what I was going to say. What about, like, uh, I would suspect that one of the higher fatality groups had to have been, like, the brakemen back in the day. Brakemen, actually... yes, especially brakemen because back, back, way back, you know, when you're talking about when they had the handbrakes per car. And it was a steam locomotive. They would throw the brake on each individual car, climb the ladder, run across, try to run through if they could, but if not, they ran across the top of the car, jump down, throw the next brake, run through. And then one would be starting from the beginning, and this is how they would stop those trains. And yes, that is a huge group. Conductors as well. Um, But every group had their, you know, um, you had a lot of firemen that would get scalded. um, Right. they're, They're constantly feeding that steam locomotive mm-hmm. um and then you had just heart attacks or um you know you even have one i know of that they think the guy just decided to commit suicide by locomotive 
Oh, wow. He'd come into the curve too fast, knowing he was too fast. He'd done it for many years. He just had... He just... Yep. Daughter just passed away. He just had a lot of stuff going on in his life. And even when they're like, you need to slow down, he just didn't even blink. You know? Hmm. And so these are, you know, these are things that... That I definitely would think would leave something behind. Yeah, some and, kind of trace. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Um, for sure. But, um... It's the one that I wanted to talk about. Just on the last one on the moon on is the UFO. Yeah. And this one is documented as well. And this guy wanted it documented because he did not want anybody to question him. And he swears that a UFO kept the pace with him while he was going across northern Indiana. And that he would look over at it. And it was, you know, and this is, this is early in the years of flight. So it's not like something could have kept up with that speed that low to the ground Mm -hmm. um you know about dusk and so that's one that they kind of you know everybody kind of laughs about like oh the ufo but it's in the records and um if you're ever at the depot and you watch the little recording we have over in the corner and it's uh it's it's a train simulator that runs the monon i it's um openrails.org i think you can download it they put the UFO on there for that. Oh, that's awesome. So that's you're awesome. riding through northern Indiana, and all of a sudden, there it is. Yeah. A flying saucer. Yeah, there was um, there were a number of uh, UFO stories uh, that I've seen associated with trains, and I know there was one in eastern Kentucky. Uh, I, believe, I think it was eastern Kentucky, maybe West Virginia, but about a train actually colliding with a UFO um, to, the, to the extent that supposedly there were a number of government agencies involved in that etc in the investigation which there would be because of a train anyways but yes. then if there's something weird going on then obviously that's going to gather their attention as well in a very different way so um, I suspect that that probably happened in my opinion probably happened way more often than anybody would right. would admit that it happened right and I mean I don't know if I'm like running I'm going to admit to people that I just saw you. So I'd rather right. just say, I'm just seeing things. I need to probably go home and sleep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, every time there's a train derailment, by the way, there's like 10 alphabet organizations from the government that show up. That show up. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's 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 a nightmare. Um, but then there were just two other stories that I really wanted to touch on. Um, and the big one is the Hagenbach Wallace circus wreck in 1918. So because uh, Showman's Rest is a large like cemetery it's bigger than a plot because it's, it's, it grows all the time but it's a section of a cemetery in Chicago that only circus folk can be buried in. Mm-hmm. But it only comes about because of one specific thing and because it happened and because they're buried in Chicago everyone thinks that wreck happened in Illinois it did not happen in Hammond Indiana which is not that far from Illinois but um of course 1918 a lot of circuses wintered or summered in Indiana mm-hmm. um and I think one still does there Peru so. yeah um and it's because it's centrally located there was a lot of rail lines that served Indiana and at the time with the, the circus that you're talking about, the, the Hagenbach Wallace Circus in particular, so that was partially owned by uh, Charles Edward Ballard uh, from French Lake West Baden. He's actually uh, from Hillham, but he was centered in French Lake West Baden. He took over took over the uh, West Baden Dome and Hotel from Lee Sinclair, well, his daughter Lillian anyways, and he was uh, invested in pretty much every major circus in the United States short of Barnum and Bailey at the time. And so at the time, they were actually overwintering in French Lake West Baden. Uh, they'd keep their animals there. They'd keep their circus performers there, etc. 
Uh, and this, I know what you're about to talk about very much so affected Charles Edward Ballard uh, after it happened. So, Yes, and it was, um, I, I have heard that in 1918 they were the most profitable circus. Uh, maybe not the most well-known, but because they were affordable, because they were mobile, more people yep. would see them than saw Barnum and Bailey. I'm sure that they were, and I'm sure they were also profitable because Ballard was tied into a bunch of other stuff as well. Uh, it's possible. Um, yes. And Prohibition was coming up, and Ballard had his fingers in a lot of things uh-huh. at that time. Yes. And um, so they are um, up on the um, they are on the Michigan Central line in Hammond, which crosses the Monon. Um, once you start getting up around Chicago, you run a lot, a lot of railroads up through there. Mm-hmm. And they are... Um, off the side doing, um, they're, they're parked in a, they're, they're, they're stalled and there is a troop train coming up behind them. And of course there would have been a lot of flares out, a lot of lights out. There was, there was definitely, even if one would blow out, they all didn't go out. Right. The engineer of the troop train later was discovered he was probably asleep. Um, and that was, that's a common thing. Um, and it's, uh, it's one of the reasons why they're trying to, they're pushing back right now against this new, what they were talking about, the railroad strike, because they want to put it ever just one engineer per train. And you're talking, sometimes going out west, 200 cars. Right. And a lot of the reasons why there's two is to keep one another sharp and awake. Um, or if one of them, we get sick, the other one can take over. Well, this gentleman was asleep and the fireman probably, he, he, probably was in the car and was just letting the engineer rest because again it's not going to stop until you need it to stop mm-hmm. um sort of like autopilot i suppose but he slammed into that parked circus train and and he just of course these are all wood cars lacquered you have oil in your lamps you have a steam locomotive you have steam boilers right so the initial collision did not cause that many fatalities the fire afterwards did, and um, they know that uh, these most of those there was 86 individuals from the circus that were lost, 100 extra, 100, um, 100 injuries, 80, and several people those several of those hundred died later, sometimes years later, from the, you know injuries they sustained or smoke inhalation, but 86 individuals died, and they were not all dead when the trains hit. Most of them died from the fire or from smoke inhalation afterwards. And, um, it, so there were animals, of course, too. And so this fire, much the way a lot of train fires back before they had any kind of fire safety measures or with all this combustible fuel, just burned right. very quickly. No one had a chance to get out and they couldn't get the animals out. Um, so those 86 individuals, many of them had no names, um, or were just known by their stage names among their, their you know the people that they worked with um they were i guess ballard bought that plot and buried them there um and contrary to popular belief there are no there's not an elephant buried there that is like this urban legend it's just those original 86 individuals and now and anybody who was associated with this wreck and now i believe anyone who's like a retired uh circus performer can choose to be buried there there are um i think there's two elephant statues up there yes if I remember right i know there's one right there might be two there might be yeah. two i don't remember but um, but that's led to the urban legend that there's an elephant buried there. ironically at the uh the existing circus barn that still stands there in french lake which is now a uh, a wood shop a woodworking shop uh there's rumored to be an elephant buried there 
that passed away during the overwintering season, which is kind of interesting. Um, I keep I keep making bets with him whether or not he's going to get a backhoe and start digging for elephant bones. You can use that X-ray thing too, just to look for bones before you dig your floor. But no, 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 no. It's got, it's got, you got you got to go out there with a the backhoe and just yes. start digging. You um, have to. But I mean, many animals died. Hmm. Um, and and I've I've often wondered with that too, Stephanie. So you you hear all these stories of you know, and not necessarily that particular wreck, but. You know, there's all these stories about big cats throughout the Midwest and everything. It always yeah. comes back to, like, some circus train wrecked somewhere at some point in time. And, you know, the animals got away or whatever. That's why there's monkeys in the Everglades. Right. Monkey and Andrew, they escaped. Yeah, yeah it wouldn't surprise they took me. over. It wouldn't surprise me um, at all. Yes, and um, but that stretch of track is um, even as built up as the Hammond area is now somewhat isolated it's kind of you're going through some industrial parks now mm -hmm. back then there was nothing and that's that's another reason it took so long not the firefighters right firefighting technology wasn't near what it is today but it took them so long to go and get some somebody to run and find somebody and then bring everybody back yeah um but there are railroaders who go through now that will stop they have stopped occasionally but they they smell the burn, the burning flesh, the burning, the burning uh, freight equipment. They hear animals screaming. They hear people screaming. They hear people crying. So there's still like residual. Yes. Stuff to happening. the point that these, uh, that some of these guys just don't want to go through there. And when they do, they're probably, you know, putting their earbuds in because it's a, you know, it, it is a place that probably in the state of Indiana, except Tunnelton, which we're going to talk to you about here in a minute, gets the most activity as far as railroads go. Right. Um, well, that makes sense. It's an yeah. area of high trauma. So. Yes. Right. And, uh, and you know, that troop train, I mean, that's full of guys who are going, you know, they're going to go yeah. die in World War One. Right. And um, so. Yeah. So I, I am curious, and uh, we'll, we'll take a break and come back for the, uh, the Tunnelton stuff. Okay. Do you know any stories about anything weird going through our county on trains? Okay. Is there anything yeah, like that? Yeah, I know that? some. I, I know some. Okay. Um, so, of course... For years, everything that came out of Crane Naval Base, there was a lot of artillery equipment that went through there. Right. <clears throat> but there was some hazardous government waste that came through. Of course. Um, that That's what's wrong with who me. Who knows what it was, but it has come through. Um, but no, accepting that, you know, there have been famous people that have come through on the rails. Mm -hmm. um, nothing outside of, like I said, that the one that I'd be interested to know is what the government waste was they were hiring and where they sent it. Right. Where'd um, that go? Yeah. It didn't derail. I know that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's 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 interesting. I didn't know about that one. Um, yeah, I would expect that several very famous people came through That's here. the one we know about. You know, right. I'm sure they're hauling things through that says like, you know, some like some candle company on it, or right, cookies right. or something. Yeah, you would never not. know one way or the other. Right. But no, yeah, I, that, I'm sure several famous people have come through, especially in the 1800s yes. uh, into the 1930s, especially going back and forth West Baden, French Lick. Yes. Louisville, oh know. yes. Now on the spur line through West Baden, of mm -hmm. course, when especially the Derby train. Yes. That was a big deal to go over there and see the celebrities disembark. Right. But um, I had a volunteer who told me that his father, his grandfather, used to take his father over there to see Al Capone when he would come to town because he would he would come down and he would catch the moan on spur and go over to French Lick. So you do have a lot of interesting, and there's probably things that were hauled back and forth through there. Oh, yeah. That, you know. Yeah. Um, well, 
Ballard, for example, uh, I'll throw this in there because of the Hagenbach Wallace thing, but Ballard had uh, at one point in time he owned what is now uh, Will Stem Ranch and Castle Knoll Farm. And on the side where Castle Knoll is, he had bought a, uh, from what we can tell, it's about a 400 gallon copper pot still. We think he bought it from the Wolf family in Orange County who were distillers. And he literally set it up not maybe 20, 30 feet off the railroad track. Like it's not in a build. It's still there. The, it's not a full still. It's just a copper body. Oh wow! But it's not in a building or anything. And he would literally, literally load the train up and send it wherever it was going. Because Ballard owned stuff. He had clubs on the East Coast. He had a hotel up in Chicago. He had clubs down in Miami. One down in Cuba. I mean, he had stuff everywhere. So there was definitely a lot of uh, moonshine and liquor moved via that yes. railroad. Yes, and I mean, and it is documented as well as those things can be documented. And Al Capone loved to French Lake to when you know get the heat off of him right um right. and a story that I had always heard and it's probably apocryphal but I've always int- I've found it funny is that he was waiting in line and the couple next to him starts giving the bellhop just grief mm-hmm. and he turns around and he says you know you need to show them a little more respect and he said well who are you and he turned around and said well I'm Al Capone and of course his picture been right. my papers everywhere right and so that couple apparently checked out and left um <laughs> which I think is Pretty smart of them. Well, you, you, especially being over around French Lick, West Baden, you know, where I, where I work at, um, you always hear that the official line is that Capone wasn't here. Well, Diamond Jim was there, and Diamond Jim ran the Chicago outfit long before Capone did, and it's likely that Capone is the one that had Diamond Jim killed. And everybody's like, well, Ballard and his, his family were too close with Diamond Jim. Listen, gangsters are gangsters. They're going to keep doing business. That's how it works. Yes. So, um, and I want to mention this too here in this last little piece of the segment. Uh, we mentioned the Depot Train Museum with their scale model with the train in the county. If you make it to Orange County, you go to the French Lick, uh, West Baden, uh, Hagenbach Wallace Museum over there. They actually have a scale model of the circus tents and the animals and performers. That and all is really that stuff. a fascinating little setup, too. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's up, guys? It's great to be back with If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything, Season 2. You might have noticed from the show that we absolutely love to collaborate with our friends. Well, it turns out that some of our good friends in the distilled spirits industry just happened to have delved into my second favorite beverage class, coffee. But not just any coffee. Barrel-aged coffee. Aged exclusively in Kentucky bourbon rickhouses using unique barrels. So when I came across two unique 15-gallon chinkapin oak barrels to use for the One Piece of the Time Distilling Institute channel on YouTube, I knew that their next stop would be with John Waddell and Corey Welch of Stave and Bean Coffee Company. The first barrel was second filled with apple wood smoked malted corn whiskey for nine months before unique Brazilian beans were aged prior to their roasting. This is the one piece at a time Distilling Institute brand. Unique, buttery, and slightly smoky. It just turns out that it pairs great with an episode of Distillers Talk podcast. See what I did there? That's cross-marketing. The second barrel had to have a little something special for Kim and I and be part of If You Have Ghosts. You have everything. So when a close personal friend approached us about making him some homemade blackberry wine, we jumped all over it. 
We took that blackberry wine and we added it to that 15-gallon barrel. Then we fortified that wine with some white apple brandy to make a fortified blackberry wine, a blackberry port, if you will. Afterwards, that barrel went down to John and Corey of Stave and Bean Coffee Company, where they added some amazing Ethiopian Guji beans, giving us a fruit aroma-filled spiritual experience with our coffee, for if you have ghosts, you have everything. Both of these coffees are exclusive to thealchemistcabinet.com and staveandbean.com, and they'll never be replicated again. Get yours today and enjoy it while you listen to the show. Love y'all. Later. All right. Back again with Stephanie Vines. Okay. So you had asked me about Mm -hmm. interesting things called on the railroad, and I was being so literal that I had actually forgotten two. One is Lincoln's funeral train. And it is, um, of course, it was a lot of railroads hauled Lincoln's funeral when it came through an area. Of course, it would have to switch to a local line. But it was also kind of a, they were, Lincoln was so, and such an important part of establishing railroads. Not just the Continental Railroad, but he's the one who invents this, comes up with the law for the standard gauge. Right. So that all railroad tracks have to be the same size because any railroad anywhere could have ran whatever gauge they wanted up until 1863 um and that's where you go from strap rail to t-rail and um so it was he lincoln's funeral train was hauled from lafayette indiana to michigan city and the monon carried him and other railroads carried him throughout indiana so there was that and then the other was the underground railroad and that's of course a lot harder to prove and I have no, I can sit here and tell you I have no actual proof as a historian. I couldn't tell you this. I couldn't write a paper and publish it. But um, John Brooks is in New Albany. Mm-hmm. He, he's one of the two businessmen that invested heavily in the Monon. He's considered the father of the Monon. Um, and he was a member of the Presbyterian Church down there on the river, the one with the gold ball yeah. on top. And the reason they say that that... <clears throat> ball is gold and bright and i'm telling you if you drive across a bridge at any time in the daylight you see it was so that slaves escaping from the portland area of louisville could see it and they knew they could go to that church for sanctuary their basement they provide tours will show you where there was likely where they were hiding um individuals and it's like you go in the foundation and there's the foundation and then they poke some stones out and there's like a false foundation there's an area about four feet wide sometimes only two feet tall in places because of the dirt but, you know, people could hide back in pretty comfortably. Across the street from there was a tavern where they would put the individuals on, you know, sympathetic uh, sympathetic teamsters that were driving. They could hide them in there. But there has always been many stories about John Brooks um, handing out tickets to escaping slaves so that they could jump on a train. They had a ticket. Or there are these interesting, like, manifests that talk about certain kinds of vegetables way out of season. And a lot of individuals see that as those were, you know, a boxcar full or a, a boxcar with, uh, you know, some, some escapees. Mm-hmm. And so there is that. And, of course, as the further they would get north, you get into Indianapolis, there's a lot of free African-Americans, free black communities. 
Well, even, and, even down here, there's a lot of, there was, you know, a lot of Quakers in this region. There were a lot absolutely. of hiding places in yep. Washington County in particular. And, and you can go to Jeremy Elliott at Stevens Museum. They have an excellent exhibit on that. He's done a lot of research into that. Um, there's the True Blood family especially. Yep. Heavily involved in that. And, um, you know, so it's, it's likely that it happened. That many stories don't spring up out of nowhere. I don't see how it wouldn't um, happen. Even... Even if it was unofficially happening, I mean, yeah. you know, I even remember from from when I was a kid, you know, the the the, the homeless guys that would ride the they the jump rails, the train, you know, right. um, constantly. So, and you know, once they're on, then they're on until they can get somewhere to stop. So, right. um, that was that was it. I and I, you know, I was thinking so literally when you said that because I always think about that um, because that was uh, I had a gentleman that ran the museum for many years before. I came along Cecil Smith and he had covered that for the paper when he was the editor but the hazardous material because right. um, when the government hauls hazardous material through and they do and they do it all the time it's uh, you know there's lots of like little SUVs and four Tauruses and whatever following it that you don't right. pay attention to but he knew it was coming right and um, you know and there's and there's a big security concern for a lot of reasons health concern being one but um, I'm still interested about where that was going and what it was. Right. Um, so here's another here's another question for you, and I know you got a you've got the Tunnelton thing to get into as well. Yes. But so I obviously and they were they were kind of they were already sort of fading out back when I was a kid when the trains were still going through here. Uh, but you would occasionally see, you know, for lack of any more appropriate term, a, a hobo, right? Yes. Riding the trains, and I remember one in particular who I saw many many times who carried a guitar with them. I also know that there used to be a restaurant right down here by TNS auction. that was called the fluttering duck. Okay. Um, and there was a, there was a very prominent family by the last name of green who ran that restaurant. Uh, but she would offer hot meals to the hobos as they came through. Yes. And I also know up at Farabee, and I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, Stephanie, but if you go underneath the bridge, uh, so and I can't remember what they call it, but there, there was a language like a, a, a hobo code. Yes. Hobo code. Yes. They would tell you, you know, like if you if you were following the tracks, yes. right, you would come across these carvings and, and some of the stone bridges that would tell you, hey, there's either uh, an angry homeowner here or there's an angry dog here or there's a place over here to get... Get a uh, free meal if you want to be preached at. That's yeah. the big one. Yeah, Or the exactly. sheriff lives here. Right. Um, so Dave Ballantyne, which is an individual here in Pekin, and a lot of people when I say his name would know that, he donated a hobo kettle that I have that I will kick off an exhibit I hope next spring. And is this from the, the hobo kettle was... from Pekin? Yes. Yeah, down at down an old Pekin. Yes, and so um, and that's a uh, you know so I've been learning quite a bit about the hobo. I mean you know everybody knows a little something about it, but that was a very maybe not legitimate but right. Um, there was a culture around. it. Yes, there absolutely was, and there's so many stories about um about that even locally there in Salem. Now that one I didn't know about Pekin. But yes, they, um, I just showed Alan a deck of cards that I carry in my purse really cool. because apparently I'm Doc Holiday. Right. Yes. <laughs> Hubba codes on it. Um, but yes, and that's just a, that's just a small, um, that's just a, a small sample of them. I mean, there were so many and, um, one family I know in Salem, they didn't understand why they would always get so many of these people come up and looking for a meal. And it was because they found out that they had basically the soft touch mark on there people knew if you went up there and, and looked for a meal that the uh the lady of the house would feed you so 
That's awesome that you just have these in yes. your purse. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure why I still have them. <laughs> but yes, I do. And uh, and we sell them in the gift shop. Not that I'm making uh, a shameless I'm, plug, but... I will be buying some. Yes, so. I also have some shot glasses. Some, <laughs> yeah. Some drinking glasses. A whole bunch of things. Oh, and some tin mugs. Hobo tin mugs, but nice. yeah. Um, yeah, so I did want to get into Tunnelton because I felt like if I came on here and didn't talk about Tunnelton in this <laughs> part of going to bring it up, yeah. <laughs> yes, um, and that's one of the things I get ta- asked about most. And I'm not sure about you, but um, a lot of us, you know, that was a rite of passage to go mm-hmm. out there and, and get stuck with the train. I even, responsible mother of the year that I am, took my son out there when he was older. Um, there were actually ghost hunters out there that night. That was very <laughs> interesting. Um and again, I'm not your mother, but I'm going to tell you, it's not safe to be trapped in that tunnel with a train. Um, they were not running trains for a while. They are again. That's part of the track that CSX has updated. So um, it's not as frequently as they were, but you could be trapped out there inside with a train. So that tunnel, though, was originally constructed for the Chesapeake in Ohio. And it was one of the first transcontinental lines to go through Indiana. And um, the tunnel itself is just, it's something to behold as far as like, structure and engineering and of course it's almost an exact mile from end to end and you get in the middle you can't see either side because of the the curve in there um and there's i hear lots of stories i hear some about two little girls that wander through there that was not the one i always grew up hearing that's what i've heard since i've been at the depot Mm -hmm. but the one i'd always heard about was would have been the gandy dancer walking the track with his lantern you know, and that's the was, one that I, yeah. yes, that he's constantly, he was struck by the train. I just didn't know what, I didn't know what they were called until. We yes. <laughs> um, so, um, there has never been anyone struck by train there or even around the Fort Rittner area or down even to Sparks Ferry. But was it somebody who just did his job and continues to do his job? He is someone that is reported by engineers. They see the light in there and it's not, you know, they're used to seeing a bunch of kids with flashlights. It's not the same. Right. Um, this is something that they see that they feel the need to report or to check up is somebody out here. And um, so that's, but yes, I mean, it, it is, like I said, everybody around here seems like has been out there. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 if you grew up around here, you kind of have to. Yes. I don't know if it's still a thing now, but definitely. Well, when we went out there, um, I guess Stephen was about 14. <laughs> there was still a lot of people out there. It still seems <laughs> to be something people do. Um. And it is, you know, and it's, but there is, like I said, he is reported officially, Mm. but his death is not, he didn't die there anywhere around. Right. Um, But, you know, a lot of these people maybe didn't. He's he's just there to be very much like the, uh, what was it, the Stephen King, sometimes they come back. Yes. (laughs) Uh, He could, and he could be. He could be somebody local who died, who just mm. walks the tracks looking for his cattle or whatever. You know, there's no... Absolutely. Um, but yes, he's reported by lots of people. He's the one I grew up hearing. The two little girls, um, the first people that brought it up to me were str- those ghost hunters that I was out there that night. And mm. I was like, no, that's not the one I've heard of. And of course, then I told them about what I knew. Yeah. But I have then heard other people mention it. And I was like, maybe they're new. Maybe they're... I don't know. Um... Well, if, any, if anybody has any stories about that yes. out there, please reach out to us for sure. We'd be yes. glad to hear those stories. I know Stephanie would, and I definitely would be. Yes. So, with all that being said, Stephanie, um, is there anywhere online where people can find out more about the depot right yes. now? Yes. Um, so, we do have a Facebook page, the Depot Railroad Museum. Mm-hmm. I encourage you to follow it. We have a lot of events that go on throughout the year. 
um, and I post any kind of news and information there. I also post a lot of articles about railroading today, you know, just different, um, a lot of photographs of trains, just, um, anything you'd like to know, yeah, about that. It's a way to contact me. You can email me at the Depot Railroad Museum at gmail.com or call 812-883-1884. You know what? We forgot something. Yes. We forgot, we forgot stories about, uh, about the, uh, jewelry store. Yes. Oh, well, okay. Well, and I... So that's just a bonus for yes. what I'm providing today. <laughs> so um, I have been. Um, Joe Pfeiffer's owned the building um, since the early 90s, and his father had owned it from the mid 70s. And this it's is Bud's Jewelers, Bud's. 102 South Main Street. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. So used to Alan knowing, and um, so what had Alan at one time told me about the time that he and Kim were at the Thai food restaurant across the street and they had seen someone walking around in the front windows cut off at the knees because they were not walking around like where the display windows are now it's where they were walking around like they were on the old floor um yeah and it was completely detailless too like it was just you could tell it was somebody walking but it also did this weird thing like when they walked across the window uh and obviously cut off where where you see through the window but then it also got to where, like, the door is, and there's kind of an inlet there where you can walk into the door. It It's like it didn't stop when it got there. It went right, right across the door as well. So. Yes. Which is, and the original front of that building looked very different. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that building is, um, so there's a small apartment above the store. And different times, Joe and I, uh, Joe Pfeiffer owns the building, have stayed there because of weather, because if I'm working late at the museum and um so or just him working there uh there is something there and it is um we've learned we gave a name to it i don't know that i necessarily want to tell you who we think it is because i don't know if he's still his family in the area um and it's no disrespect to that man or his family that he didn't move on or anything like that um a lot of it just seems to be like a residual he just goes about his day but uh, Joe has a repair room in the back, and he has his jeweler's bench. And he has his tools laid out the way he wants to lay them out. And every jeweler who works a repair bench has their own way to lay in their tools out. And that's the only way it can be done. And he would come in, and the tools would be rearranged. Always in the same way, opposite of how he liked to do it. To the point <coughs> that he just kind of started letting some things. He just picked up extra tools and left them there. Um, because it was easier than coming in and trying to find his things. Um another time about december of one year he's trying to sell a ring to this to someone and and it went missing and so he knew this person's family he did not want to call them and say look i think your relative piece i'm just not going to do it you know that's a horrible thing to accuse someone of whatever but a year later we found it on top of a and we have a freezer in the back about about as far back as joe can reach he's about six two and a half mm-hmm and he could barely reach back where it was, back behind items that none of us would have put it back there. And so, you know, he found the ring. So he's very, he was very happy he didn't say anything to this family. Um, just everything gets moved. Your things get moved around. Right. I, that's that's the biggest thing. It's like you you know you put something here, but you come back and it's not there. It's four feet that lurks across the room. Um well, this is this is right off the Salem Square too. Yes. For for those who aren't familiar with Salem, but if you're familiar with the show, um, obviously you heard about the Murdered Mayhem tour that Jeremy and Daniel did, and then they're also doing, I think, a 
Ghosts and Ghouls or yes. something like that. Yes. That's coming up before too long. Uh, so I'm presuming this might be part of that as it well. It will be, yes. Um, Daniel was quite, he, he was actually ex excited. And I'm like, well, we just, you know, we don't tell too many people because they just look at you like you're nuts. Um, <laughs> right. But it's uh, different times. I, I saw one time Joe is following him down the hallway. And he gets to the end of the hall. You can only go right or left. And I get down there, and he's not right or left. And I'm like, where did he go? And he's solid. He's as solid as Alan is right here, four feet away from me. And uh, he comes up out of the basement behind me. There's no way he could have done that, nor <laughs> would he have pulled that trick on me. Um, another time, he heard me calling for him from, I mean, he said I, I mean, he said I sounded like I was in pain or fear. He is running out looking for me. He can't find me. He calls me. I was across town. Um, those are... Those are maybe the only two things that have really ever happened that were kind of maybe frightening in a way. Mm -hmm. My son used to always see cats running around. And we had a cat at the store there. I don't know if you've ever shopped there. You remember there was a big orange cat mm -hmm. who would just rub on somebody that wasn't there or sit there and meow at them. Um, that was a bit <laughs> concerning. But my Dale O'Seffron story just happened a couple weeks ago. And we were preparing for the Murder Mayhem tour, and so I was telling Joe about, well, you know, this happened right out here. Dayless Heffern murdered John DeHalstead, probably right out in front of the store thereabouts in the road. And as I'm talking about Delos, we hear this noise in his, on his desk that sounds like somebody's knocking papers against him to get him all flattened yeah. out in a sheaf of paper. And I look at him, and he looks at me, and we both look back at the door. It's locked. His office is locked. And he said, no, there's nobody in there. I said, yeah. He said, but I got to look. Nobody in there. Nothing out of place. And <laughs> so, um, you know, just and so much of it happens so often. You don't even, you don't even catalog it anymore. And just your stuff's going to get moved. You're right. going to hear somebody walking around upstairs. Nobody's upstairs. Well, between the Delos Heffron story and then also being right next to the jail and the Gibson Spurlock story. Yes. Which and there was a family that um, had worked there in the 40s. Mm -hmm. And his wife passed away from breast cancer, and she knew, and she didn't tell anybody. She didn't want to get it treated. And it was not long after that that he just kind of gave up. Gotcha. Now, neither one of those died in the building, but they were very attached to their business. Right, right. I mean, that business has been there. A business has been there since the 1870s. Mm -hmm. And if you're ever in there and you see the big Seth Thomas clock on the wall, that has been there since it was a furniture store in the 1870s. And it is sold from owner to owner with the understanding that you will never take it out, so nobody does. Clock. That's you awesome. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, it's just, there again, and before that, who knew who could have come through there? Yeah. And what could have happened? I mean, Absolutely. it would have been, yeah. So it is, um, but it is, yeah. It's, it's one of those things that we've just come, we're just used to it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's just something you work around. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, his dad, you know, his dad and his mom worked there. Of course, his mom didn't necessarily believe or acknowledge I'm not going to say she didn't believe but she refused to acknowledge but his dad would talk about things too like you'd hear the door open and it has a bell there's nobody there the security system will go off we have a motion sensor security and it'll alert um, the phones and there won't be anybody there you know you hear somebody like I said mainly you just hear people walking around and you're just like yeah I'm the only one here yep. Part of it. That's, yeah. That's how it is in yeah. our distillery, too. Yeah. So. Not looking at them, not going to talk to them, yeah. and then they won't talk to me. Don't acknowledge it. Let it go. Right. <laughs> right. Well, Stephanie, thank you very much. It's thank been you. Awesome. And uh, we'll definitely get you back because I'm sure there's more stories that will come to mind yes. in the future. So, but. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely.
Hey guys, if you've been following my career at all, or following the If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything podcast, you've probably also heard about my other shows, Distillers Talk, as well as the One Piece of the Time Distilling Institute. One thing you may not be aware of, however, is that we actually have a separate website called thealchemistcabinet.com. And the really cool thing about thealchemistcabinet.com is we have our very own store there. It's called The Warehouse One. And you can go there right now and pick up all your Christmas gifts. Or if it's after the New Year's or even before, if you're at all into if you have ghosts or you're into the art of distillation, you can go to the Warehouse One right now and buy various different if you have ghosts, you have everything and uh, one piece at a time distilling institute apparel and or merchandise. Things such as shirts and hats and stickers and my book, The Alchemist Cabinet Philosophy, Volume 1, or the two DVDs we're currently offering. A short history of distilling in Indiana's Black Forest as delivered in a speech to uh, the Salem Depot and or the Alan Bishop Experience documentary directed and produced by Bo Cumberland and Jolie Kasperzak. There's all kinds of cool stuff over there. I even occasionally have some extra distillation slash homebrewing related materials such as staves or yeast or unique grains that I offer over there. There's going to be all kinds of new stuff coming up. Kim and I are actually working on an oracle deck specifically for if you have ghosts, you have everything and our spiritual work with this podcast and personally that'll be up before too long. So please go over to thealchemistcabinet.com and place an order. All that money obviously goes back into this show as well as into the One Piece of the Time Distilling Institute, and it helps our family out. This is one of the ways that we pay for our bills and also pay for our hobbies, such as all the software we use for this podcast, etc. We really appreciate your support. We love you guys, and we'll catch you soon.